All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Sports Ethos Celtics podcast. I am your host, Patrick Lounsbury. Of course, always with me, Lucas Gaynor, my co-host. Lucas, Celtics end up tying the series 3-3. This series keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And here we are, one game left to decide who goes on to the Eastern Conference Finals. How are we feeling today, Lucas? It's a beautiful Saturday. What's on your mind? First of all, I I just want to say it was a beautiful Saturday. It was like 75 degrees and sunny here. Probably the nicest day of the spring so far in Boston. And I think that, Pat, is just a sign of good things to come for the city of Boston on the next coming days. But, no, I feel great, man. Listen, it kind of felt like in the fourth quarter it was a game five repeat, but the Celtics figured it out. Jason Tatum went berserk, you know, did his thing. And I'm feeling great to uh, live another day here in the NBA season. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Celtics ended up getting to the dub. Jason Tatum went full supernova, superstar mode. And now we get to talk about and, and record more because the season's just not quite over. Just happy not to be doing any off-season pods just quite yet. Yeah, Pat, no, we didn't want to talk about second-round picks, did we? I don't think so. Or, t- or, t- or TPEs. I would much rather talk about a Game 7. Oh, but, man. Pat, I have a little, you know, we'll kick off the show, I think, with a little bit of trivia here. Um, you know, Jason Tatum finished the game with 46 points. Okay. That's the second time he's done that. Had a 45-point uh, or more game in his NBA playoff career. There's only one other Celtic in Celtic history to do that before, to score 45 games in a playoff game at least twice. Who is that Celtic legend? I'll give you a few guesses and some hints, all right, as you guess. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think I can get this one. Okay. it's It's got to be the White Mamba, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, 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 Pat, Pat I, said, I said 45 points. Not 4.5 minutes, all right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. My fault, my fault. I thought 45 minutes, points, same thing, you know. Um, that's going to be no, very no, let's interesting. Just say, let's just say he played, uh, he played in, uh, before Brian Scalabrini. That'll be your hint. Um, damn. Listen, in the, and the question is to illustrate a point I'm going to make. So it's not. It's, it's not, been a while. It's been a while, huh? Point. Yeah, it's been a yeah. yeah. Can you tell me like uh, what era he was in? Uh, he played before Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh wow! So we, and it's not Larry, right? It is not Larry Bird, no. That's the obvious one. Mm-hmm. Plenty of players have scored forty points or forty-five points once, but forty-five points has only happened by two people. And you know, one of them, Pat, was in a game facing elimination. That's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is one, and you know who's the other one? I'm going to tell you it's Sam Jones. Oh, okay. Sam Jones is – damn, what, was he, he played, in the 60s, in the 70s? A long time ago. He played a long time ago, but listen, the type of respect Bob Cousy gets from the NBA in general, I feel like that should almost be shined. I'm not going to say away from Cousy, but equally at least to Sam Jones. He's really an NBA legend, a Celtic legend, nine-time champion. And listen, he had 52 points in a game facing elimination. Like in the 60s, come on. They would have probably called this guy for witchcraft. You know, not many – not many guards were going for 52 back in their day. It was mostly guys like Bob Pettit, George Mikan. But I just want to – basically the point I'm trying to make, Pat, is like you said, it's been since the 60s. That was the last person to score two games of 45 or more points you know, in the playoffs. That just goes to show that Jason Tatum is doing things that are not normal. And guess what? He's doing it at the age of 24. So you know, I know it's nerve-wracking going into a game seven. You know, Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? I'm just glad to know that the Celtics are in good hands for, you know, the next five, five, seven years at least. No, the Celtics definitely are in in really good hands. Jason Tatum is a a generational talent player. And so long he is a a Celtic, I think there's always going to be some type of window for this team to have championship aspirations. And... You know, the reason the Celtics are are going to Game 7 is a lot of what Jason Tatum was able to do. And as we go into this Game 6 recap, uh, you know, we're not just brushing over the first half or anything like that. But, but like, Jason Tatum in that fourth quarter on that 11-point straight run where he just, like, just was taking off. He hit that sideline shot, 
with like two seconds on the shot clock, and it was all right over fadeaway on the baseline. Whew. Man, he swished that one home. I was like, oh, okay. It, it. I think from that shot on, I knew it was like he's in a zone. He's hit, if he's hitting, if he's hitting those type of shots, it's kind of like when when you used to watch. And I know people hate the comparisons with him and Kobe. But when you used to watch Kobe though, and you see Kobe hit like a tough shot like that, you're like, defense is in for a long ass night. And there's no difference as well as when Tatum hit that shot. I was like, okay, the Bucks are in for a tough fourth quarter if that's the type of shots that Jason Tatum was going to be making. And by no surprise, Tatum was was the one that put the team on his back and really carried the load. Yeah, that shot was absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I think it was clear to everyone this guy was locked into a different zone in that fourth quarter. And we've kind of seen him do this with his back up against the wall multiple times now. You know, he's just a phenomenal player. And, you know, the only only player since uh, Sam Jones to score 45 points twice in the playoffs. And, Pat, that number could end up being in the double digits. And Sam Jones only has two. So I think this game... And hopefully game seven is, you know, proof that Jason Tatum's going to go down as an all-time great Celtic. But I want to get into the game, man. Like I said, so at the end of the fourth quarter, well, we can do the f- fourth quarter first, right? You know, just be a little – it's like eating ice cream for breakfast. But. Yeah, why not? Well, let's, let's talk about that fourth quarter. So, you know, the Celtics were really good the whole game, I would say. Or I wouldn't say really good, but they controlled the game for the most part. You know, Giannis was going absolutely berserk, but I felt generally good about how things were going. Um, you know, then the Bucks cut into the lead a little bit. The offense stalled, you know, slightly in that fourth quarter, and it kind of, like I said at the top of the show, felt a little bit like game five, but so this got things under control thanks to Mr. Jason Tatum, and we're able to get it uh, get it done. We we talked about it right before, before even – this was yesterday we talked about it was – the the things that was really tough for the Celtics was that three minutes that Tatum was sitting in the start of the fourth quarter. That was the roughest point of the fourth quarter for us. Oh, yeah. So I think that was kind of like the moment that as soon as Tatum came back into the game, it felt like we were able to put our foot back on the pedal and, and start pulling away again. 100%. And, yeah, and I, and I, and I texted you. I had you on DM. Um, I don't know if I said this to you. I know I said that Pritchard wasn't looking great, but I texted you know a couple people. By nine minutes, I need Pritchard out of the game. Like, yep, uh, I got that text. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good, good. Because I know I was talking to a couple people about it, but by nine minutes, I needed him out. That's about when he got pulled, and I think, like you said, he kind of saw the time shift um, back in the Celtics' favor. But no, Jason Tatum was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I don't. There's not. Sometimes guys just go into a different level where they can't be stopped, especially when they're guarded by a guy like George Hill or you know somebody they have an advantage over. When they're in that zone and have a mismatch, it's just you know there's nothing you can do about it defensively. There's not many people who are elite defenders who can guard Jason Tatum in the NBA, let alone guys who are like very average defenders. So it was good to see him you know pick his spots, find where he can get the advantage. You know maybe in the post because I've always loved this post game, Pat. Since he was even at Duke when I was watching his film, I absolutely loved his post game. He can really abuse those mismatches there. And guess what? Jason Tatum has grown to be able to play make out of that position too. So it's a win-win for the Celtics, I think, because when he's going like into that zone, teams overhelp because they're so scared of getting cooked by him again. And now he has the wherewithal, you know, to make the right play pretty much every time, whether it's a pass or a shot. And a lot of times, Pat, when he's in that zone, the right play is a shot. I mean, the right play is the shot. And I do think that Tatum was just so good at, at taking advantage of the drop coverage the, the Bucks were doing. But then he, he just started kind of attacking everywhere, right? He was able to get into the teeth of the defense and, and get good looks at the rim. Then he was able to attack within the the mid-range area. And then he hit some huge three-pointers. I'm talking about... Some of the three-pointers he made throughout this game in general just were tough. You know, three seconds left on the shot clock, defender closing out on him. He just rises over above him and just hits him. And it's something that, you know, Tatum has in his bag is that he is just so much bigger and taller than most people that, like, even closing out on him, he should be able to shoot right over you. And he's starting to understand that, I think, to a higher level. It's almost like when you watch Kevin Durant, it's like, cool, you could be rating Kevin Durant's foot space but he's so tall and, and his release point so high that it doesn't matter he shoots over everybody tatum has that ability as well 
to have that type of level of shot selection where he could just shoot over guys as long as it's within rhythm and it's comfortable for him. Um, I like when he when he's aggressive the way he was and it was like selecting his spots, right? It wasn't just three, a three, a three, a three. He was like, all right, I'm going to drive. I'm going to hit a mid-range. I'm going to hit this three now. I'm going to hit a mid-range. Go back to the three. Now hit another drive. He was so surgical with the way he did his offense. And the thing is we don't even talk about is that how he dropped 46 points and only six of his points came from the free throw line. So he was just phenomenal. Unbelievable. No, I agree with what you're saying. The way in which he was, a, it was a full three level scoring performance from Jason. Yep. He was getting, it was everything but the free throws. I mean, Pat, you pretty much just said it all right there. I mean, if there's people questioning his shot selection, you know, after that game, I mean, you know, it's the same people who are yelling all series, you know, he needs to take better shots. And to some degree, you know, he did need to take better shots. But it's not like he was taking bad shots all series. I think he just really polished it up a little bit tonight. Like Pat, we asked for the mid range a few times. I feel like on the show, you know, get to the mid range. Don't do the Daryl Morey ball, okay? Sometimes the best shot is the mid range because you have the size advantage. That's where the space is in the defense. So, Pat, I could, I can't really add any more to it. I feel like you hit everything pretty much. I was thinking, but uh, you know, sorry to hit it on the nail. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect, Pat. You're doing your job. But uh, another thing we talked about right before the last two games is uh, offensive rebounds, right, and limiting mm-hmm. transition. How do you limit transition? You limit your turnovers. You know, how do you limit second-chance points? Obviously, you box out, you get the rebound. Celtics only gave up one offensive rebound in the fourth quarter and turned the ball over a grand total of zero times. So uh, you can't ask for any more than that, truthfully. That's, you know, really important factors into winning basketball games. I feel like people get caught up in all that, you know, the – amazing things like the Giannis dunks and the Jason Tatum, unbelievable tough shots. And that is obviously, you know, the majority of the reason why you win or lose a game, but those fundamentals still matter. And, you know, taking care of the ball and boxing on rebounding are, you know, two of the most fundamental things in basketball. So it was good to see the Celtics, you know, clean that up for lack of a better term. Yeah. And then uh, another person I wanted to kind of highlight, I already know um, and we're going to, we're, we're going to end up bouncing now from one quarter to oh. another. But um, this is going to be more so about the first quarter. And this player uh, came out and responded the best way you possibly could with how Game 5 finished. We're talking about Marcus Smart and the disaster, you know, final minutes he probably had through that Game 5. He talked about how he didn't even sleep. He hasn't slept since Game 5 going into Game 6. And he came out in that first quarter – and had 14 points and shot lights out from deep. The man was unconscious. He was without Marcus Smart's big start in that first quarter. Giannis's big start in the first quarter pulls the Bucks away and really makes this game a lot more difficult on the Celtics to try to pull out. So the way Marcus Smart set the tone and he responded with this first quarter in this game is exactly what you expect out of a guy who, you know, made some mistakes in game five, you know, he, you're not immune to making mistakes. We're human at the end of the day. And Marcus Smart had some moments where they weren't his best. And he came out in game six and was a big reason for why we were able to get a victory on the road in Milwaukee. No doubt, Pat. And, you know, we talked about this again. You know, Smart has had multiple moments in his career where he, you know, maybe made he made the wrong decision at a maybe crucial time or, or a blunder that looks, you know, goofy or whatever, right? You know, obviously he's done that a handful of times in his career. But to me, I feel like the optics of those moments, you know, um, supersede, you know, how often they really happen. I feel like they don't happen that often. But every time they do, Pat, because they do happen, every time they happen, Smart bounces back with a great game. And what you just said was on the money, Pat. You know, it felt like worst case scenario, Giannis coming out saying, I'm going to score 40 points or what felt like 50 points in that first quarter. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm going to play almost the whole first quarter and I'm going to try and dominate. And he did dominate. And like you said, thanks to Marcus smart and Jason Tatum, who was three of three on threes in that first, but mainly Marcus smart there who was five of seven in that first quarter. Mainly to him is why, you know, we were able to take that lead. Okay. In the second quarter, a little bit get control of the game because it did not feel like it was in control in the beginning, but you know, thankfully Marcus smart settled us down and that's why you love Marcus. I'm going to live with those blunders because like you said, we're all human athletes are human, right? 
uh, I think that's important to remember. I think, like I said, the good moments outweigh the bad moments. The out, it's just that, you know what somebody says, it takes a thousand good deeds to undo one bad deed, right? So I think that's just why people like have this hate, or not hate, but like a lot of people have a certain disdain for Smart. Um, it's because of those mistakes he makes, and I understand they're very frustrating moments, but uh, you know, I'm always going to ride with Smart Pat, and you, and you know that. Oh yeah, Marcus Smart's the boy. That's that's Lucas's guy. At the end of the day, you know he's he stands for him. Like how I stand for Aaron Neesmith, Marcus Smart is uh, Lucas's Lucas's stand. Um, obviously one obviously one player is way better than the other. Um, I won't say who it is, you know, just so we don't have to embarrass anybody. Uh, future depoy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I think that uh, the Celtics came out in that first quarter. Offense was was pretty fluid for the most part. They were hit. They were shooting a lot of threes. I know the Bucks were giving a lot of threes, but I I kind of got nervous that the Celtics were gonna get too comfortable in that area, and they ended up not getting too comfortable. Uh, but in that first quarter, they definitely found some type of footing from from shooting from deep. And and the crazy part was the Bucks didn't even make their first field goal until the seven fifty mark of the first quarter. Everything prior to seven minutes and fifty seconds in the first was all free throws. That's crazy. Giannis had six free throw attempts in the first three minutes. He was just—that's all he was doing. He's driving, get to the line, driving, get to the line, driving, get to the line, and he's been hitting his free throws. He's been hitting his three pointers in this series. It, Giannis has just been as great as you possibly can be throughout this series, and that's the only reason I think this has gone seven games is because Giannis has been – he's the greatest player on the planet and he's forcing this team to play, you know, at a high level because he's carrying them. And I also think that the Bucks are doing a, a pretty good job of, you know, defensively at times against the Celtics and, and causing some type of stagnant movement as far as how the Celtics like to run. But, you know, Giannis had 15 points in that first seven minutes, man, and – you just look at, at how great of a player he is. It's hard to decide. Like, how do you, how do you pinpoint to stop Giannis? And I, I know me and Lucas have talked about it and had different ideas in the past. And one of the things I touched on prior of the series was, I think one of the best things you can kind of do is is let Giannis be Giannis, but don't let everybody else beat you. If you can play solid defense on everyone else, and and try to live with one on one on Giannis as much as you can, and just keep poking and and taking, you know, flashes of double teams, but then, like, coming back to your guys so you're not giving up open looks, that that's going to be a way that you can possibly win. And, and that's what we saw in Game 6. I know, Lucas, you mentioned that as well, that that's what you also saw in Game 6 uh, was just the Celtics team locked down everybody else, and Giannis just went crazy, and hence why Giannis had a crazy 40-20 night in, in a losing effort. Yeah, you know, I think showing late and – um you know, still trying to build a wall to some degree, you know, is what they were doing. But a lot of the time, you know, that help is coming very late. And like you said, Pat, they're doing what you call stunting. You know, they're taking a couple steps in at you to prevent the drive, but they're, then they're getting right back to their man. And then you're, and I think you were, you hit the nail on the head really, because, you know, especially in a team that is not as deep, like the Bucks are not that deep, especially on the perimeter when it comes to like scoring without Chris Middleton, of course. That's how you got to beat them. You got to make guys like Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton beat you. And guess what? Pat Connaughton has been trying his hardest to beat his hometown team, but but you know I don't know if Pat Connaughton is going to be enough to get it done at the end of the day. You know we'll save our predictions for a little later. However, Pat, speaking of predictions, just want to say the double digit victory came and it went. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed the double digit victory. I didn't um, get the score right. I, I was goofy for guessing such a high score, but. I had a good feeling about the game, and I'm glad that it bared itself out. And I'm not on old takes exposed. <laughs> old takes exposed, man. Um, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, Celtics, they took care of business, man. They played phenomenal, especially down the stretch. We talked about Tatum and all that. Uh, and another thing that's crazy, right? We, we talked about how Tatum only had six free throw attempts. I don't mean you text about this, but, like, man, we got to find a way for, like, we need to send like some memos to me, like how does Tatum get just a couple more calls when he drives? Because there are some times, man, that I feel like he is getting abused when he goes to the rack 
and they will not call anything. Like I, I like I don't like it when people get frustrated and yell at the refs. But sometimes I look at Tatum, and I'm like, man, I can't even be mad at you because I'd probably be yelling too. Like it looked like a clear foul to me too. Like uh, Tatum just his his whistle is never consistent. I feel like sometimes he'll have games where like, all right, they're calling it, and he's going to the line, and he has you know 12 free throws. And in other games, I'm just like, man. They've been calling that. Why didn't you get that yeah, now? The same, yeah, exactly. The same calls it's that just were calling when he got 12. Exactly. Yeah, I would agree. It's not that It's not that they don't call fouls or that they call too many. I would say it's exactly what you said. Some days I'm like, oh, Jason's getting hacked tonight. Like he's going to the line 14 times. But, you know, I don't know. In game seven, I wouldn't expect it, to be completely honest. Do you know when the – can you name uh, when the Celtics shot their first free throw in this game six? 942 of the second quarter. Close, 6.37 of the second quarter. Mm. Almost a quarter and a half without one free throw attempt. Um, you know, honestly, at halftime, they barely had any free throws. And when I was looking at the second half uh, the second half stats, you know, I kind of said to myself, you know, I think they got to make some – they got to make double-digit free throws here in the second half if they're going to win. And, you know, they did. They missed a lot of them. You know, I will, I will. I should add the context just so that we don't get scolded for it. The Celtics were shooting a lot of threes in that first half. Like that a lot. They they, they hit like ten of seventeen threes like that in that true. first quarter and a half. So if you're shooting from deep, you're probably not getting as much contact. Totally get it. Not saying that they should have got more free throws. All I'm saying is that it's just kind of bizarre that like they were able to keep up without free throws for so long. So I just want to make that clear to everybody right, right, listening. Right, right. We're not we're not trying to like. Swing it one way or the other. No, listen, so we there's, don't blame, there's we, the, the refs are the refs are never. It's never the refs' fault. Bad refereeing is a part of sports. You got to factor that into what's going to happen. So, you know, because once again, the refs are human, just like the players. But, you know, I thought to myself, the Celtics they've absolutely got to make sec, uh, make double digit second half free throws. And the, honestly, the lead pro probably could have been a little more comfortable, Pat, if we didn't miss seven free throws in the second half. But, you know, I'm not going to nitpick. Listen, we won. The Celtics played a great game. I think. I think there were moments where the offense maybe stalled, but for the most part, it looked good. Jason Tatum was that guy, smart, bounced back amazingly. I think I can't believe we went this long without mentioning our boy D. White, who had a phenomenal second quarter. Feels like that's three great games in a row from him. You know, he's the series leader in plus minus Pat by like twenty something. Yeah, he's, it's not even close. Like he is insane. He's an insane plus on the court. And there's a reason why I feel like we're going to see him clo- be a part of that closing lineup a lot more often. Uh, just his ability to to defend at a high level and also just be really good on offense and, and keeping the flow within the team. So, yeah, Derek White's been really good. Love love what he's been able to do and be really aggressive. And he had a crazy second quarter stretch. You know, him, him attacking with the mindset of, like, I'm going to go get this layup because him and Smart really can do that, you know? Like they can attack, they can get there, and if there's if the help doesn't come, they can finish. Um, and I think driving with that, you know, I mean we've seen it multiple times. So seeing that, you know, that kind of uh, makes the defense have to collapse a little bit more. So then you know there's more space on the outside. So I think that's a huge plus. Even though he only scored, the reason I say that is the re- he only scored nine points in the first half. He didn't even score in the second half. But the Bucks remember that stretch. So when Derek White's coming downhill, you know. They think he's looking for a shot, but he's such a smart player, you know, always making the right decision. That's why we love him. We didn't focus too much on the shooting, which has been better. And uh, not perfect, but better. But, but, you know, he makes the right play. That's what it's all about, Pat. So Derek White, huge impact in this series. Uh, I don't think, you know, you got to look a little deeper than the box score to understand, you know, that Jay Rich would not be doing maybe the same things here for us. Just the impact, man. Impact is, is not always in the box score. Um, we've got a lot of players like that. Smart's a guy sometimes where the box score doesn't say everything that he does. You can't put, you know, the hustle that Marcus Smart does into a box score and keep track of it with some type of numbers. It's just not it's not possible. There's not a way to track it. So and, and Derek White does a lot of those things. It's the little things that end up winning you ball games. Uh, another person that I, I think we need to talk about, and it's not gonna be as positive of a conversation. But I feel like it needs to be brought to the attention of the floor, and it's it's. I want to talk about Grant Williams and the way he has just disappeared and been pretty much no help offensively. Like he has gotten some really clean looks, and it looks like he's just in a really bad cold stretch. 
at a time that the Celtics really needed him. Uh, what what are your thoughts, Lucas? On what what do you think the Grant Williams needs to to do to to get back to some of the better shooting days from the regular season? No, simply Pat, I think he's got to play his game. I mean, I think you know Grant's. I'm not gonna say feeling the moment. I don't want to do all that and like you know be that dramatic, but Grant's got to take his open shots. He, he you notice he's hesitating, right? And he's pumping and he's driving, and he's doing a lot of things that you know maybe we'll be able to see from him probably next year as, you know, more evolved part of his game. But right now he's just got to keep – because he's playing good defense. I'm liking his effort. I'm liking his defense. But on offense, I think he's got to play his game. Move the ball. You know, move the ball quickly. You know, get the ball to Jason, to Jalen, to Marcus, to someone like a playmaker. And uh, make your open shots. Don't hesitate. Believe in yourself. Believe in that high percentage from three. That's pretty much all it is. That's all I chop it up to, Pat. And And – I don't, I don't know. What do you think it is? Do you think it's anything deeper than that? Do you think I'm being too simple-minded? That's what I see on the court. I think it's yeah. really straightforward. You know, we, we, I think we talked about it before going into the playoffs. Is like, there's just levels, right? There, you have, and you even have it with superstars. You have superstars that are really good in the regular season and and not as good in the playoffs. <clears throat> um, Julius Randle. Um, but you know, we we got oh. always these <laughs> st- wrong, stray bullet. Julius Randle catching a stray. Catching a random stray for no reason on a on a postseason podcast. Um, also, something Knicks don't really know nothing about. But anyways, I'm not doing my like that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love the Knicks. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I I think Grant is having a hard time, you know, raising to the level in the playoffs, and that's okay to an extent where it's like, I mean, role players, it's going to happen, right? They're going to go on like these little flashes and streaks. So I think it's just more of like, this is an experience for him. And I think the more stress and, and craziness these series go, the better it'll be for Grant Williams development, uh, as well as, uh, you know, just trying to see if he can gain some consistency. I mean, listen, I, I don't, I just think it's Grant being a younger player. And you know, not having played in these giant, giant moments it's like the experience, this, big of a role. That's all it is. Yeah, I think Grant will be great. And like I said, we'll be able to see some of that stuff attacking off the dribble. Maybe some post game. I like that. Grant evolve his offense a little bit more. I bet that's what he'll be focusing on now that he got his defense where it needs to be. Um, and maybe we'll see that. But right now, Grant just needs to, you know, he and I get it. You know, from Grant's perspective. He believes in himself to do these things, and I'm sure he probably will be able to do these things. But right now, just got to know, make your shots, trust yourself, make the right play, keep the ball moving. Um, and, you know, honestly, Pat, he's been, like, uh, playing less minutes. Yeah, he, he had that Batman game, though, in the in the Nets series. So, And also, no, and then my other thing is, like, I think this is indicative of it. I saw this the other day. Um, Grant asked Ime during the year, why don't you ever run a play for me like you'd run Jalen or Jason? Like, I can get a bucket. So Ime does it, right? He does it one time. And he got blocked at the rim. And, and, oh. and, and OKC's point guard, Shade Gilgis-Alexander, blocked him at the rim. And he said that was his one chance, and that was his only chance. So I just think that Grant's not at that point in his game yet. And I, and honestly, one of my beliefs is that Grant will ascend to that level. That's why when people are complaining about paying him $12 mil a year, I'm all good with that because I think Grant's going to continue improving his offensive game. But that's a conversation, Pat, for July. Okay, that is it's a definitely get, a development offseason uh, podcast that we can definitely get into. Yes, but I think Grant. Listen, I'm hopeful Grant will be good for Game Seven. But right now, I'm riding with Derek White personally. He's a more experienced player. He's had uh, insane. He's had a 40 point playoff game, if you can believe that. Okay, so this guy's built for it, and he's had a little bit more experience. And I kind of like what he brings offensively and defensively um, in this Bucks matchup when they're going with Giannis at the five which is what they're doing in the fourth quarter. So I like Derek White, but I'm not out on Grant at all because of his struggles. I think, like you said, it's inexperience. And, you know, hopefully he'll relax if the Celtics are able to pull out a win on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And then, folks, also, I just wanted to say there is no such thing as a fantasy offseason, only the pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysis are cheering out more and important lessons learned and draft analysis on the incoming rookies so you can get a jump on your prep. 
We'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're a part of our premium member team. Head to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, you're, you just got to go and get yourself one extra lunch per month because you just cook yourself a meal at home. You know, save yourself you know, a day for going out to eat because the pass is only $5.99. So make sure you guys head over to Sports Ethos and get that subscription so you guys can get ahead of the game and get access to our wonderful analysis over there at Sports Ethos. Um, yeah, man, we're, we're talking about yeah, – no, no, well, Listen, I just want to say, Pat, you know, if you play fantasy sports for money, you know, you got to invest money to make money. You know what they say, scare money, don't make money. So, uh, you know, those guys are going to give you great tips, help you win your league. You know, the profit's going to be a lot bigger than five ninety nine a month. So you might as well do that. And guess what? If you play for free, you know how much the bragging rights mean to you and your friend group. I bet they mean a lot. So, you know, it's still helpful there. So, uh, yeah, go on over and make sure you get the pass from us here at Sports Ethos, man. And, uh, you know, those guys are over there. Help me out, win some money. So, hey, I'm just saying they help me. So let them help you. Let them help you guys, yeah. And and let's go back into some more things in this game here. Uh, we got we got so much still left, I think, to cover with this this game. And um, the thing that really was nice about Game Six was the Celtics were able to they survived the third quarter a lot better than they have lately. In the third quarter of this game, I thought the Celtics did a really good job of taking some punches from Milwaukee. And then being able to stretch the lead back out to 13 points before going into the fourth quarter. Now, mind you, this is what's going to allow Jason Tatum to sit those first three minutes of the fourth quarter, which, you know, the Bucks are able to kind of go on a run and bring the, the score within six, right? And then Tatum come back and onto the court in that 937 uh, mark of the fourth. And that's just really, honestly, with uh, just really a terrible – terrible like run for the Celtics the fact that as soon as Tatum is is gone it's it gets rough it gets rough really quick and Tatum came back in and put the wheels right back on the on the car and said you know what I'm in the driver's seat y'all can just hop on in and we're gonna get going here and then Tatum started hitting some tough shots and even had that point where we talked about he had 11 straight but then there was a moment in this fourth quarter that I think was actually huge for the Celtics. And it came from Ime when he called a timeout. They had four, and he used one of them just – even when we had the ball, we, we just got to stop, and we were playing well. And it, it just seemed like he used it just to give Tatum a break down the stretch. And then maybe – and then a couple minutes later, he ended up using a third one just to get him another one. And it was just a smart thing because it allowed Tatum kind of catch his breath of it because he definitely was – putting in so much work in that fourth quarter. But shout out to Ime with just the awareness of his ability to, to read the floor and, and get that get that timeout call, which I thought was super timely. Yeah, 100%. Listen, that's one thing I love about Ime is his willingness to use our timeouts. I never understood why coaches let long stretches, you know, obviously when you're playing poorly, but also if you're playing well just to get things back settled down. You know, I'm right there with you, but I absolutely love that about Ime. If I was to nitpick about nitpick nitpick about Brad, it would be that he, you know, never would call timeouts when I felt like we were getting killed. So I'd love to see that our coach now, you know, no disrespect, Brad Stevens, but you know, the coach we have now, he's a little quicker with the timeouts. Also, speaking of Brad Stevens, Pat, can't believe he uh, was not a top three executive of the year candidate. Ridiculous, in my opinion. Uh, fifth is fifth is Ridiculous, disrespectful man. and insane. Brad, Brad, listen, I, my hot take at the beginning of the year, well, at the time it was hot, but I don't think it's hot now, is that I thought Brad would exceed who he was as a coach, as a front office guy, as a president of the basketball ops, because he just seemed like he was the perfect fit. And I think it's – I'm not going to – I mean, listen, it's hard to say it was better already because he was a, such a great coach. Like, it was a really awesome coach. But he's already proven that he's a phenomenal executive. So, you know. No, I, I, I agree. I think I think Brad Stevens deserves a lot more credit than when he got. You're talking about a People guy who added Derek White. He got yeah. I mean, in the offseason, just think about the offseason. Yeah. Gets Dennis on a really cheap deal. Gets Josh Richardson on a two year cheap deal. Uh, ends up flipping these guys later down in the season for Derek White and getting Daniel Tice back on the roster. Pat, Pat, uh, Dennis Schroeder being our point guard feels like 2017 right now. 
it's, it seems like it was long ago, but he was the like, it, you know, knock on wood. But the Celtics end up winning a championship. Like Dennis Schroeder gets a ring. That's that was crazy. Dennis Schroeder <laughs> could be an NBA champion. Mm-hmm. And I think not to like kind of slander Schroeder here, but I think you see the difference in which the Celtics have. You know, that other point guard outside of Smart be a guy who is not going to be stuck with the ball in his hands and is willing to move it first. Like right as he touches. Not the ball. a scoring guard is the, is the answer there. Non scoring guard, not a guy yeah, who's coming in looking to score like first. To guard. He can yeah. be, but the thing is, mindset wise, is like Dennis is like when he comes in, he's looking to score. That's his number one. That's his skill. He's a scoring guard. Yeah, that was the when, last. When Derek White comes in, that's not like he can do it, but that's not his mindset, and that's not like what you, what he he's coming in to do all the time. One hundred percent. No, one hundred percent. And I'm glad. And exactly, I'm just saying. You see how, you know. You see how big of a change that really makes for the Celtics. And by God, it's made a big one. It has made a big one. And uh, another thing that we need to talk about, big changes here, is uh, going into Game 7, what are some changes the Celtics need to make? What are we kind of thinking? Where are we kind of leaning? How this game is going to go? Uh, I know Lucas and I have talked a little bit about it. So we're trying not to talk too much before the show because we're like, hey, we got to leave it for the content for you guys. So, I'm sure we're going to have a pretty pretty good conversation here because uh, I do know Lucas has the Celtics winning, and I do not. So, Lucas, give the people reasons why no, 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 they should no. have, have some hope. Can you kick it off for us? Listen, you want I, want good, I want the good news to come second so everybody leaves, leaves happy, all right? So. <laughs> all right. All right. That's fair. So we'll, we'll, we'll go into my reasonings here, all right? Um, I, I look at the matchup, and – I have this question for Lucas here. I'll save for after I make my point. But I just see this team, and I go, okay, both teams have just been back and forth, back and forth. No team has won two in a row. And I don't even look at home court advantage as something to even have an advantage of in this series because of how it's played out. It just hasn't mattered as much. And I felt like all the games have had a similar feel to them, right? No team ever felt like they were just blowing the roof off the other team. They just been evenly matched, you know, just like two Rams batting ahead, batting ahead, batting ahead. And Giannis is just not a guy. He's he's in his prime. Like he is prime age, prime time in his career, off a championship, best player in the world. And I I come to think to myself, I'm like, in, in a deciding game seven. You, you just have to lean towards the team that normally has the best player, and asking Tatum to match Giannis twice in a row in elimination games is a very very hard thing to ask from someone, you know. And I'm not saying that Jason Tatum can't do it; it's just going to be really a hard opportunity for him. So I want to see here what the Celtics have in them. I do have the Bucks pulling it out because I do think that Giannis is a generational talent and it just seems like a legacy type of method for somebody who's so great in his prime to, to kind of find this adversity and get over it. And my question would be to you, Lucas is um, do you think the talent gap between Giannis and Tatum is bigger or do you think the talent gap gap between the actual teams is bigger? in this series. So, I mean, let's just, let's do it. Let's talk. Let's go down the list then. So, you know, you got Giannis and Tatum. Okay. You got, who's the second best player? Drew and Jalen. Like that's 50, 50 to me personally, you know, about a slight edge to Drew, but that's 50, 50. Who's the Bucks third best player right now? Covington. Connaughton, right? Connaughton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who are you taking? Pat Connaughton or Marcus Smart? <laughs> I'll take Marcus Smart. Okay. Yeah. Who's the fourth best player? Probably what? Who would you say? Bobby Portis, maybe? Grayson Allen? Bobby Alan? Portis. Who, who are you taking? Al Horford. Al Horford, yeah. Al Horford all day. All right. So let's go Grayson Allen or Derek White. Who are you taking? I would take Derek White. All right. Who's the next player on the list for the Bucks? I would say maybe. Actually, we were kind of disrespecting Brooke Lopez. But let's just say, Brooke Lopez or, or Grant Williams? I'm taking Brooke. Ten minutes a game, Brooke? 
15 minutes a game, bro? I'm taking Brook because of his ability to rim protect. Um, it's that, it's very totally clear. Argument. When I him think. and Giannis are on the court together, that's when the Celtics have to settle for threes. And, and the only time it works is when we are hitting the threes at a very high clip, and that's and where. You're not wrong, and you're not wrong about that. And so, okay, fine. You, know, you can take Brook over Grant. Listen, me, you know, Grant, you can, the series is not very indicative of it. I don't think either of the players have played well this series, but, you know, I can obviously understand the rim protection logic. But I think we also saw the amazing defense of Grant Williams in a different way. So I would honestly probably take Grant just because of functionality and youth and switchability. Um, but okay, that's a toss-up. Um, I'm just going with – I'm just taking the Celtics. That's my answer. That's a long way for me to say I think the Celtics are a better team than, you know, because also you think Jason Tatum is top five. So if he's number five and Giannis is number one, that's only – it's a pretty short gap, right? And I get that Giannis is the best I think, though, I think, though, that, like, when you talk about the number one player and the number five player, I think there can still be a pretty big gap. I And obviously there's a big – like, obviously there's a gap. Like, Giannis is the finals MVP. But also I just don't – I'm not really going to – I don't really subscribe to that thinking. Listen, that, you know, right now that because the, the Giannis is the best player that the Bucks are most likely to win. I think that we could have seen the Celtics win this game in the series in five games. But, you know, due to more of the Celtics shooting themselves in their own foot a few times, you know, and a few phenomenal plays here by Drew Holiday and a couple pull-up threes from Giannis, we're, we're in a game seven. You know, that's where we are. So I just think that if the Celtics do what they've been doing, you know, playing through Tatum, I don't think Tatum also needs to have a, a generational game for the Celtics to win. I don't think so. I think we'll have to have a good game, a very good game. We'll have to score 30-plus most likely. But I don't think we need another 45-point bomb from them to win. Um, you know, I think the scoring can come from Tatum, but I think we need a bigger Jalen Brown game. Al Horford's probably going to chip in with at least 12. I would like, you know, Derek White needs to score, okay? Same thing with Smart. You know, and I think that that's kind of what has been happening. You know, with one guy maybe not stepping up, like Al didn't step up one night. Okay, Marcus didn't step up one night. Derek didn't score one game. Um, but I think the Celtics are going to be able to get it done, you know, not to let the cat out of the bat. Well, you already said it, but I do. I have to have a good feeling. And honestly, Pat, I usually don't have a uh, – you know me. I'm a pretty – like I try uh, – I usually don't have stay a pretty level situations like these. Exactly. Yeah, you still stay pretty level. You know, I'll usually – like and, and I'm not saying, you know, the Celtics can't lose. I think they definitely could. But I personally feel pretty good. And I think if they take care of the ball, limit the offensive glass – you know they have a really good chance to win this game, but I do. What have, percentage? Well, put it put it on a percentage. I want to hear a percentage. What is your percentage? Do you think that the the Celtics win? This I'm seventy thirty. I'm seventy thirty sixty five thirty five right now. Okay, that's that's. I strong. feel pretty good. Like I said, I feel pretty good. That feels good. Yeah, I mean the Bucks one is for me would have been more of like a fifty five forty four. I mean fifty five forty five. Um, so it's not like Honestly, I, I think I probably, the Bucks. Are, you know, listen, maybe maybe I'm being. Uh, Maybe I'll be on old old takes exposed old takes exposed for this instead of my double digit prediction, but I, I genuinely do feel pretty good. But you know, sixty forty, you know, whatever. Okay, you know, Giannis obviously gives them a great chance to win, and I'm not trying to act like we're gonna stop. We're gonna go in here and stomp them, and then I have no doubt. No, no, no. I think on. I think you're just very confident in the in all the pieces yeah. Boston's have to overcome Giannis. And uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think, but here are my expectors, right? I wonder so. We kind of ties into what we just talked about, right? You mentioned that when Brooke and Giannis are on the court, it feels like we're settling for threes instead of taking the good threes that are available to us. You know, since our ability to not drive in the paint, you know, forces uh, the only shots really to be at three. I totally get that. I think they've looked great together on the court as well. I'm just wondering why Brooke didn't play in the fourth quarter then. Why are they going with Giannis at the five? Hopefully it's just Budenholzer are screwing up the rotations. Um, and then the other X factor, I would say, I seriously think Javon Carter is, was giving them better minutes than George Hill. I really do. And, you know, he's obviously not, like, going to be a massive difference maker. But I think the fact that I'm even considering this shows how much of a better team the Celtics are. That's no, keep 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 uh, George Hill playing. If George Hill plays 10 minutes, I like our odds. Um, I do think that there's an adjustment coming from Bud. Well, though. they asked Bud, you know, Pat. They asked, why isn't Javon Carter playing and why is George Hill? And he said, we like George Hill more. So, hey. Yeah. Go ahead, Bud. That's that's Bud. Let, Bud. let Bud coach Bud. You know, if, he, if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. Um, some of my key factors here that I think for the Celtics, if they want to come out and and win this game seven, I do think that uh, they can't rely 
on Jason Tatum to be as great as he was in game six. 100%. But yep. they, they need to chip in. It needs to be an even across the board type of chip in. Uh, I think the bench is going to be crucial. Like it, you're going to need 10 points from Derek White and probably 10 points from Grant Williams type situation. You got to have some type of production off the bench. Bench points are very crucial in playoff games, especially when you got two T. Two defensive juggernaut teams that going at each other sometimes, and you know the score is not going to be 120, 130. So 20 points from the bench is going to be a huge difference in a game. The team scores 110. That's almost going to be 20 percent of what the overall score is. So getting any type of reduction from the bench is going to be crucial. And Jalen Brown is going to be on the spot. Uh, he still played really good. I know we didn't talk too much about his play in Game Six. But he played a very solid game throughout. Wasn't like over the top spectacular. Wasn't like terrible. Hit a couple he huge shots. Hit timely shots. His shots were very timely when he hit them. Well, he is clutch. He went and drove. I'm ready to start saying that. Yeah. Jalen is clutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jalen has a clutch gene for sure. He has that ability to really lock in and in big moments and hit some big shots. So I think if we get Jalen Brown to to get going in this game seven to help out Tatum. I think that would be big, and I also think Al Horford is going to need some type of a big game. And then we, we we talk about this all series long, man. Offensive boards and limiting turnovers. So full production from everybody, limit offensive rebounds for the Bucks, and control your turnovers. The Celtics will be moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know that's that's going to be the ultimate factor for this team. They've shown some games where they're able to do it, and they've shown some games they're not able to do it. What team is going to show up? I think we're going to learn a lot about what this team is about in Game 7 at the TD Garden against the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Pat, you know what's crazy? Pardon me, I feel like I already know what this team is about, and I like it. I like what they're about. They're about <laughs> fighting back. They're about playing hard. They're about making up for their mistakes. They don't think about their mistakes too much. You know, I love what this team is about. I love the season, Pat, and maybe I'm being hopeful, but maybe I'm on to something. I really think the Celtics are going to be able to walk away with a W. And, you know, I just do want to touch – I 100% agree with the fact that you said uh, home court. You know, all the games have been very similar, right? Yeah. Now, I do think there's something to, you know, a game seven. We already know the Garden is going to be raucous. It's going to be crazy. Okay. And the Bucks haven't really been phased by that. I wonder if maybe, you know, some role players, and I think we saw it recently with Grayson Allen, you know, when the crowd is chanting his name and they're so loud, you know, it's going to be – it's just a little harder psychologically, mentally. You know, it's just the truth. It's a ton of pressure. You know, it's a game seven. You know, and that's why I think I trust our role players because role players really matter. You know, I trust our role players, our secondary players, to get it done. You know more than I trust the Bucks, and I think that's really it's going to push it over the top. And I'm right there with you, Pat. If we don't, if we don't box out, if they get, if they get 10, 15, 17 second chance points, if they get a bunch of fast break points, if they get a bunch of points off turnovers, it's it, it's going to be almost impossible to win. I'll say it, but you know, I think that fourth quarter is more the uh, more the Celtics team. You know, I believe in than you know maybe the last last minute and a half of Game Five. All right, before we go, guys, uh, let's um, get in some final score predictions for Game 7. I will go first since I do have the Bucks winning. I think the Bucks win 109-102 to 102 by 7 points. I think Giannis ends up just putting on a historic 50-point game. I, okay, I don't. I can't say I like your prediction, Pat, but I totally respect it. Okay, you know Giannis could go for fifty. The Bucks could very well win, but my prediction, similar score. I have them at one hundred seven, one hundred three, in favor of the Boston Celtics. Okay, obviously a four point game. It's a close game. Going to be a battle. I think the Bucks are going to do the same thing. They're going to make that push in the fourth quarter. You know, while the Celtics have like a little bit of a lead, they're going to push. They're going to push, but the Celtics are just going to hold on. Uh, you know, to line up a bubble 2020 rematch against the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, with a chance to win the Bob Cousy Trophy and for somebody to hoist the Larry Bird Trophy above their head after the after the Conference Finals. So that's my prediction. You know, I'm feeling good about it, but, you know, it's going to be tough to go through a player as great as Giannis. 
No, and I think uh, we, me and Lucas can both agree that the, this game probably is going to take more years off our life than the, the point differential after the game. So, uh, yeah, most likely. <laughs> it's going to be a stressful game, but make sure you guys head over to Spotify and rate the show at Sports Ethos Celtics. Give us that five-star rating. You can also head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star ratings and a review. You can also leave some comments there, feedback, questions, do something funny. Anything you want to comment, we would appreciate it, as well as following us on Twitter. Make sure you go to Sports Ethos Celtics Twitter page. We do try to tweet out of there for, like, news, breaking news, like, on Robert Williams' status will be broken down, but also as well as, like, game-by-game game plays and what we're kind of seeing as we're watching the game. You can also follow Lucas at Luca underscore Gainer. Um, I know he doesn't always tweet just uh, Celtics things, but he, but he tweets a lot of funny things, man. You can give him a follow. You can always message him as well. Uh, you can also uh, DM, you can also hit up me at Ball and Opinions on Twitter for anything Celtics related as well. Hundred percent. Yep. Uh, appreciate the compliment, Pat. You know, I, I'm not necessarily a live tweeter, but anytime big news breaks, anything like that, I'll 100 percent be chiming in. Um, and you know, like Pat said, reach it or you can DM me if you have a question, basketball related or non-basketball related, you know, life is crazy, you know, especially right now. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me about anything, honestly, open book here. Uh, appreciate everybody who listens to the show, downloads, rates, subscribes, um, you know, shows it for the Spotify live. We appreciate anybody who's been tuning in. You know, we got some pretty devout loyal listeners on here. So really appreciate you. You definitely do not go unnoticed. Uh, but yeah. Pat, I just can't wait for 3.30 tomorrow already, man. Yeah, man. We're excited for this game. Let's go Celtics. Let's get this win. Make me wrong. It's it's make Patrick wrong, and I would love to be wrong. I'm letting you guys know that right now. I'm not asking for the downfall. I hope I'm wrong come Sunday. Yeah, Pat. You know, if, if, your, if your wish comes true of the Boston Celtics losing, um, you know, we'll have some uh, – <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll have some early draft picks. No, no. Listen, we're not going to be talking about the offseason, Pat. I have a good feeling, man. We're going to be talking about a Game 7 victory. Oh, also, I want to make this comparison before we, before we close the show. You know, this Game 6 felt a lot like Game 7 of the 2008 Eastern Conference semifinals, okay, when Paul Pierce – and LeBron James matched up against each other. And LeBron, you know, he had a better stat line, and he was the better player. But, you know, for that game, Paul Pierce, Jason Tatum, rose their game up close to the level of the best player in the world at that time to propel their team to victory. So can the team do the same for Jason Tatum, or can Jason Tatum just do it again in Game 7? We'll find out. Pat, that is all from me, man. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, guys. Let's go Celtics. Let's get that dub on Sunday. (laughs) 